Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, I just uh, I thank you for this opportunity. And I just ask, Father, that you speak through me and that your name would be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I, t- I told the first service this, uh, and I'll, I'll just, just throw this out as a warning to you. I, uh, when I was putting this testimony together uh, last week, uh, I decided I better read it just to see how long it was, and it was a little over an hour. So uh, I, I did, just for your benefit, I cut it down to about 55 minutes, so we should be good to go. Uh, uh, I, 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 I do want to give you an overview of what went on uh, with me over the summer. Most of you probably know, but if you don't, uh, you won't know what's going on with the testimony. So I'll just give you a quick overview. It all started about uh, the middle of June. Uh, uh, Kelly and I had just come back from a little vacation, and we stopped in Kansas City on a Wednesday to have uh, dinner with some friends, uh, Dave and Debbie Burke. After the dinner, we went to a little coffee house to uh, listen to some music, and while we were there, uh, Debbie was trying to explain to me where this house was in Fort Scott, and uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't think where this house was, and she said, well, uh, you know, and gave me an address, and I, I, I couldn't picture that, and she said, well, if you just go up Horton, and I, I couldn't picture where Horton was, and she said, well, you know where the church is, and I couldn't pe- picture where the church is. I, my mind was just was just blank. And those of you that know me think, well, that's pretty common. Your mind's blank half the time anyway. But this was a little bit different because it, it kind of it's kind of stuck with me for a little while. And uh, with that and, uh, and the headaches that started uh, just right then and, and uh, some, some vision loss, some peripheral vision loss, uh, those were my symptoms. And those, those blank uh, spots in my mind uh, continued on. I would be driving down the road and... Uh, all of a sudden, not know where I was, uh, and, um, and, and I would have to keep driving until that fog kind of lifted, and then I would kind of realize, okay, I am here or there. Now, I, I, I was never dangerous uh, because I still know, knew the uh, rules of the road and that kind of stuff, but I just didn't know where I was at, and uh, so uh, that went on for about a week. Um, I, I really thought it was just some sort of a migraine. And uh, after a week or so, I realized that if it was a migraine, it probably would have cleared up by now. And so I went to the doctor. Uh, my doctor was gone uh, on sabbatical. So I uh, visited with Dr. Nichols. He did an examination, and he said, you know, I never do this. This is not following protocol, but I, I want you to have a CAT scan just to make sure that there's nothing going on weird in your brain. And uh, uh, so he did a CAT scan, ran some blood tests. Uh, they found a mass in my uh, in my brain, so immediately scheduled an MRI for the next day. Um, after the MRI, asked the nurse or the lady that was giving me the MRI, I said, "I presume somebody will get back with you with me Monday or Tuesday." And she said, "Oh no, somebody will get back with you today." Um, should have been my first clue that something was amiss, but the, still, I I just kind of shrugged it off. And that was on a Friday. Uh, no one got back with me. Uh, Saturday morning. Uh, nobody had gotten with me yet. And so about noon, I decided, you know, she was pretty insistent on that somebody would get back with me. So I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll call the hospital and find out what's going on. Call up there. Nobody was available. So uh, a little bit later, she called me back and said, 
uh, hey, we got a doctor up in Pleasanton that's on, on duty. Uh, we'd like for you to go to Pleasanton and, and visit with him. So Kelly and I drive to Pleasanton, uh, sit down in the, in the uh, office there. He walks in, sits down, and says, hey, I apologize for making you come all the way to Pleasanton for this, but uh, I really hate to give bad news over the phone. Um, the MRI results show that you have a brain tumor. Uh, it appears to be a very aggressive type of cancer. We believe it's one of these four types. Um, so I would recommend that you uh, go home, find a good uh, neurosurgeon, and then kind of decide uh, from there where you want to go, uh, what kind of treatment did you want, or if you even want treatment. Uh, so I spend the next 24 hours telling my family, um, uh, my kids and uh, my uh, brothers and sisters, mom and dad. And uh, Monday, coming to work, Tuesday work, uh, late Tuesday afternoon, about 5 o'clock, the, the headaches really start to get uh, bad. About about 6, I, I can just no longer stand it. Uh, so Kelly takes me to the emergency room. And uh, uh, from there, get transferred to KU. Uh, the next afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, they, uh, they do some surgery on me and find out that it is uh, not cancer. It, in fact, is a, a brain abscess. And uh, so that's kind of it in a nutshell, uh, just so that you can kind of understand where I'm, where I'm coming from with these things that I've learned through this experience. The first thing that I wanted to tell you about that I've learned is that God is good in all circumstances. Um, it is not just the good things. Uh, but also in the bad things. I remember driving home for the doctor, just found out uh, that, uh, that I had cancer, and uh, I remember praising him uh, for the cancer that I had. It just seemed like the right thing to do. And believe me, I am no uh, super Christian. Uh, I just felt this overwhelming desire uh, to praise God. And um, I can't explain how I felt um, other than that I felt his presence. I felt the Lord's presence with me on that drive home. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 talks about the, uh, the peace that surpasses our understanding, and I can tell you that I had peace that surpassed my understanding. I, I can't describe it. Um, it should have been a time where life was just falling apart around me, and, and instead what I felt was his arms uh, wrapped around me, holding me close and lifting me up, uh, it was uh, one of those extraordinary experiences that I will never forget. Uh, the next thing that I learned uh, is obviously that God answers prayers. Uh, when God's people pray, great things happen. And I think, I mean, you see evidence of that in Scripture all the time, but you also, I think, see evidence in front of you today. Uh, the doctors can't explain what happened. Uh, the, the, uh, the bacteria that caused the infection should not have been in my bloodstream. Um, if it had gotten in my bloodstream, there's no way it could have traveled to the brain. And if it had traveled to the brain, there's no way that it was stopped there and developed an abscess. I mean, there was no logical explanation for what happened except one. God answers prayers. And I will talk a little more about this uh, a little bit later, but uh, I just wanted to say, uh, because of you and the thousands of others that had lifted me up uh, during this time, from not only in Fort Scott, uh, but uh, in numerous states throughout this country and in numerous countries, uh, that my name was brought before the Lord. Uh, and not just 
uh, from the Christian church, but all denominations. Uh, my name was lifted up, and because of that, a miracle took place. Uh, God is still in the business of answering prayers and doing miracles. So I would encourage you, uh, continue to pray for those that, needs, uh, that need God's healing touch. Uh, it is critically important. Uh, the other thing that I learned, another thing that I learned was the importance of family. I, I can't tell you how uh, much it meant to me to have my family uh, close to me uh, during this time. As I mentioned to you, uh, that, that I told uh, everybody within about a 24-hour period, uh, told, obviously my wife was with me, told my daughter that night, uh, told my youngest son uh, early the next morning, uh, traveled to my folks uh, about four hours away and told them, and my brothers and or my brother and sisters over the that afternoon. The last person I told was Cameron. He was on camp teams, and uh, was uh, just coincidentally or a God thing uh, about uh, fifteen or twenty miles away from my hometown. So we go over there uh, uh, and and tell him, pull him away, and it's 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 Kelly and, and uh, Jordan and Weston and. Set him down in a a little park bench, and and I say, you know, hey, here's what's going on. And uh, through his tears, uh, first words out of his mouth was, I am so glad we have Jesus. And uh, I I just thought that that sums it all up. Uh, Jesus is all we need. Uh, With him we have hope and grace and mercy and forgiveness. It doesn't matter what would happen to me with, with, with him, we have a future, and that future is secure. Uh, it, it, and it doesn't matter what the prognosis is going to be uh, or what, what the doctors might say. With Jesus, uh, we have a future. I, I can't imagine what this would have been like had it not been for Jesus. So after the tears were shed, uh, we were, uh, again, kind of out in the middle of nowhere where this camp is. We decided to go eat at this restaurant. I said it was Chili's the first service. I got corrected uh, when I got back. It was not Chili's. It was TGI, TGI Fridays? No, it wasn't even that. I don't remember now what it was. But it was a restaurant. It's a brain thing. I'm sorry. I, I, you know. I'm going to use that until it's... <laughs> every time I... I'm sorry. It's a brain thing, you know. Um, but uh, we sit around that night and had the best meal. Now, the food was good, uh, but having my family around, we laughed and joked and cut up and just had an absolutely incredible time together as a family. And uh, uh, it was all because of Jesus. I guarantee you the people that were around us and other tables had no idea what was going on in our lives. Uh, but because of Jesus, we were able to celebrate uh, life. I cannot em- emphasize this enough to you. Make sure you have Jesus. Um, he, is, he makes all the difference in the world. Uh, another thing that I learned that, w- that God gives you strength when you need it the most. Um, uh, starting on Saturday, right after we found out, uh, Kelly just didn't get a lot of sleep. Uh, I was on some pretty good drugs, slept like a log. Uh, Kelly did not. Uh, she got a couple hours sleep those next couple of nights. Uh, then on Tuesday, when she took me to the emergency room, there for about 48 hours, got no sleep at all, none. And then uh, the Thursday and Friday after that, got 
another couple hours of sleep every night. So there's about a seven-day period there where she got a total of about 10 hours sleep. And we were talking about this actually in the hospital room about that, the, 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 that Friday. And, and I said, yeah, you've got to be exhausted. Said, I'm not. I'm not the least bit tired. Um, and it, she wasn't just not sleepy. She was focused. Uh, she was just, she was all there. And, uh, you know, I, I, we get tired when, now, you know, when we miss an, uh, an hour or two. Uh, and she had missed literally four or five days worth of sleep. Uh, again, there was no way for her to stay focused were it not for the supernatural strength uh, of God providing her that strength. Um, another thing that I learned is that God uses people uh, to bring comfort uh, as well. I can't tell you the number of, of people, of, of friends and, uh, that have come alongside us during this time. Um, from the cards and notes of encouragement to the, uh, the money that was donated to help defray some of the cost, uh, to uh, providing meals and the many, many visits. Um, I can go on and on. Uh, God uses people like you and I to comfort those uh, who need comforting. And I want to encourage you to step out and do that. By all means, lift them up in prayer, but don't just stop there. Uh, if you can go and be God's hands and feet, do that. And I know, at least it has been for me, there have been times where I said, you know, I really would like to go visit this person, but I don't know what to say. I mean, they've gone through this horrible tragedy, and I don't know what to say. Let me encourage you that sometimes you don't have to say anything. I'll give you two examples. Uh, first of all, the, the Monday morning, uh, we found, I found out on Saturday, Monday morning I'm in at work, um, Bob Hirons walks in the door of, to my office, gives me a hug, and just cries. And he starts to speak a number of times and just breaks down and cries. And tries to speak and he cries. And I, I can't tell you that he got a, a full sentence out the entire time he was in my office. And if he did, I have no earthly idea what he said. But what I remember was his tears. Because his tears spoke volumes. The very next day, uh, I went to uh, the emergency room, as I said earlier. And, uh, you know, Kelly is just not knowing what's going on. Uh, if you can put yourself in her spot, uh, I was just, I'm almost incoherent. The pain was so bad. And uh, so she texted a couple of friends. And within minutes... There was a, a number of people surrounding her at the, at the emergency room, lifting her up in prayer, uh, just being there. I remember Dave Martin uh, telling me later that he felt so helpless because he didn't know what to say or what to do. And at that time, it didn't matter because his presence, along with all the other people that were there, was exactly what Kelly needed at the time and, again, spoke volumes of their love and concern. Be Jesus to the people who needs it. Uh, another thing that I learned was that God's ways are higher than our ways. And we know that, right? We know God's ways are higher than our ways. Uh, but there are times that we just want to know. I mean, we, we, we have these inquiring minds, and we want to know why things happen. There were three things that reinforced this to me over this period of time of, of why, why I shouldn't need to go there. 
First of all, when I look back and see how every event, every decision, uh, every aspect of, of the time that I found out to the time that I was treated in the hospital, everything went together like clockwork. Now, at the time, they seemed chaotic to us. Uh, you know, why did this, I mean, you know, my doctor's not there, so I see another doctor who doesn't follow protocol, and, and it, it just goes on and on. But I look back and say, wow, everything was exactly the way it should have been because it was according to God's plan, not mine. If we only trust in the Lord, and here's the key, lean not on our own understanding. Trust in the Lord, lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge Him, and He will make our paths straight. He will direct our paths. And I'm telling you from experience, uh, that is the case. His ways are higher than our ways. The second thing that reinforced that to me was that he could have taken this ailment away completely. Um, he could have just wiped me clean, but he chose instead to change this from cancer to a brain abscess, something equally, equally dangerous but treatable. Um, the reasons that they were absolutely certain, and I'll just throw this in here, the reason they were absolutely certain that it was cancer prior to a, a biopsy was twofold. Number one, um, that's what it looked like. I mean, th- these are trained professionals who look at this MRI, and, and they know exactly what uh, cancer looks like. They, they've seen it thousands of times. And it wasn't just the radiologists or the local doctors. These were neurosurgeons at KU Med who, this is their business. They know what cancer looks like. And the second reason was is that I showed no other symptoms that it wasn't cancer. If it had been an infection, uh, then I would have had some type of, uh, of symptoms like fever, uh, a, a increased blood count, a white blood count, things that my body was, was saying to, uh, to, to rid myself of that. And I had none of that. I shouldn't say I had none of that. I had none of that until you guys started praying. Then I started having symptoms of infection. But why did God just change it from cancer to an infection? Why didn't he just take it away? I don't know. I mean, there, there's a, a thousand reasons uh, that I have come up with why. I mean, it could have been something as simple as that he wanted to teach me some things. And believe me, he did. Over the course of the last three months, I've learned so much. He has taught me so much. And so it could have been something as simple as that. It could have been uh, that... Um, he wanted to uh, teach some other people some things. Um, I know uh, Kelly, a friend of Kelly's told her that uh, this was the first time she had ever been a part of a real-life miracle, and it str- had strengthened her faith in God. Uh, maybe that's the reason it was. Uh, maybe that it was uh, uh, because all the people that visited me in the hospital while I was up there for the seven days uh, was able to be a witness to those around them. Maybe it was because uh, I got to tell my infectious disease doctor uh, that the reason he had no logical, logical explanation for this brain abscess, because there wasn't one. It was a miracle. Uh, who knows why, uh, why it all happened? I, I don't know. Uh, but I've come to realize that I'm totally fine with that. The third thing that I realized that God's ways is higher than ours was, was, was a real struggle for me, and that was guilt. I really struggled with guilt for a while because I kept asking myself, 
Why me? Why did God save me? Why did he give me a second chance? Um, Why not one of the thousands of others who have been touched by cancer and not survived? I mean, I'd lay money that there are a number of you out here who have had a loved one die of cancer, uh, whether it's a, a close friend or a family member. Why did God give me that second chance? And the answer that I've come up with is simply, I don't know. I, I don't know why he gave me a second chance. The answer is, is beyond me. The only thing I can do is make the most of the opportunity that has been given to me. Um, he's given me a second chance. It's a blessing to be able to have faced mortality, your own mortality, uh, to, to how, how fragile life is and to be able to come out of it alive. Um, and now I, I, I kind of feel like I have a responsibility to those who haven't been given that second chance. Um, it's a responsibility that I take very seriously. Uh, so I pledge to you that I will not waste this second chance, this second opportunity, and I will make the most of, of the life God has given me left. Uh, the last, or the, another thing that I learned was that I'm not afraid to die. And I don't know that we sh- any of us should be, but uh, by far the most difficult thing for me uh, during this, this whole ordeal was the pain that I caused others. Uh, it, was, it was almost unbearable at times. Uh, when I would see my wife and children and friends, um, brothers and sisters and, and mom and dad hurt and cry uh, because the pain that I was causing them, uh, it, was, it was tough. And all I wanted to do was minimize that pain. And I know my family would have fought me on this, but I had decided early on that unless that there was an excellent chance for me to, to make a full recovery, uh, I was not going to take any treatment. Uh, I had no desire to put my family through more pain, uh, more struggles, and financial hardship just so that I could live a few more months. I was not afraid to die. In fact, I have to be honest with you, I was kind of looking forward to it. Um, any time that I would look around and see my family uh, just in pain, or any time that I felt pain myself, I would think about what was to come and the pain eased. I think we need to continually remind ourselves that our earthly uh, body is temporary. Uh, we are only here for a short period of time. And what awaits us, if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, is far greater than what we've ever experienced on this earth. Um, which kind of leads me to the last point that I wanted to share with you, and that is that we have a limited time, and we have limited opportunities. So make the most of them. Stop living in the past or living for your earthly future. Uh, I hear so many people who uh, dwell on what has happened, and they can't get past uh, the, uh, their, their, their past whether that be good or bad, they're either, they're either living in their past glories or they're, they're, they're wallowing in all this, this regret and, um, or, or things that people have wronged them with. And I see people live and put all their time and effort into their earthly future, saving for retirement. I can't wait until blank happens. I can't wait until I'm... 65 or 75 or whatever it is, and I get to do all these wonderful things. 
Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saving for your future. Uh, that's a good thing, unless it gets in the way of, of living for today. There's a guy I worked with at Walmart uh, years ago before we moved here to Fort Scott, and uh, he was at, at work all the time, literally all the time, whether he was, he was on schedule or not. And uh, I told him over and over again, you need to go home and spend time with your family. And his response was that he was too busy providing for them to spend time with them. Too busy providing for them to spend time with them. Man, if that is the truth, what a mixed up world we live in. Live today like it's your last. And I fully believe that, that we need to live each day like it's our last. I tell the ones that you love how much you love them. Uh, enjoy the things that life have get, has given you. Uh, today for lunch, enjoy it. Enjoy that food that, that God has prepared for you. Um, I don't know if anybody looked, watched the sunrise or last night the sunset. Um, enjoy those, those beautiful sights. Um, wear your favorite clothes. Um, don't wait for that special occasion. Break out the, the china. Don't wait for something uh, special to do that. Uh, live life like it's a gift, because it is. Uh, and don't take it for granted. I've learned so much uh, over the past few months. I can't, I can't begin to tell you everything. And like I said, I, I literally cut out half of what I was going to tell you just to try to make it fit in and, and keep you from that glorious lunch that you have prepared for yourself. Um, but there, there are certain things that, that used to bother me that just, that just doesn't bother me anymore. Um, God has shown me some things that I have let go, that I've slacked on, that I need to pick back up and do a better job at. Um, and there are things that used to be really important and hold a, a special place that really have, uh, doesn't have the appeal that it used to. I can tell you it is very easy to put priorities on things that are meaningless, like, like money, cars, and homes, and things like that. Uh, but it is equally hard, or easy, I should say, to put things on uh, or put priorities on things that are good. Uh, things, that, things like uh, uh, church activities, doing good for other people, uh, family and friends. Uh, whether it's my home, my job, uh, or my children, if I put them on a pedestal, if I, if I put them above the, the uh, God, then I'm an idolater. The scary part is, you might not even realize you're doing it. Uh, the bottom line is, is that we're going to worship something. Everybody worships something. I read the book, uh, Gods of War, this spring. And, uh, and then over this experience I had over the summer, I can tell you uh, that I have idols in my life. Things that I have placed far too much importance on. Uh, and they were interfering with my relationship with God. You see, idolatry isn't just one of many sins that we commit. It is the sin. It is the great sin. I can tell you that if there is as a, a problem that you're dealing with, a sin that you're dealing with, if you look deep enough, you will find a false God. And until you deal with that God and put the real God back on the throne of your life, you will never conquer or get past that one sin. Let's use my, my uh, situation as an example. Let's say that I go to the, the doctor and they do, they do all the tests and they say, okay, he's got a brain uh, tumor, but we're not going to tell him because we know if I told him that it would just cause a lot of grief. 
So what they, were going to, what they would do as a, uh, as a, as a doctor would just say, let's, let's treat his symptoms instead. Let's give him some additional pain medicine. Let's give him some medicine to, to help with the vision and, and some of the other things that he's going on with. And let's not, let's not deal with, with what was causing those things. And we know that's ridiculous, right? No doctor in his right mind, uh, Ralph, I'm going to tell you right this, they wouldn't, they wouldn't treat uh, just the symptoms and not really deal with, with the cause of those symptoms. And yet sometimes it, 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 in our churches, I think we do that. Uh, we, we try to deal with the external issues like hurting or cheating or gossip lusting, spending, uh, things that are external issues, and not tackle the root cause of those issues, which is idolatry. And let's be clear, anything that gets in the, in, in the way of my relationship with God is, is an idol. And it could be anything. And I'll, I'll be very transparent with you this morning. I've, I've got idols in my life. I've had idols in my life. I still have idols in my life. There, there, are, th- there are things that I, I place too high a priority on. Uh, at times, running is that for me. Great exercise. How could something so good for me become so bad? And it, it becomes that way when I allow it to get in the way of my relationship with God. Uh, success, being successful in business. Nothing wrong with being successful in business. But I can tell you that I, at, at times I have pursued it with an unhealthy attitude. And it was an idol for me. But my biggest idol, the one that I struggle with the most, you're looking at him. Uh, it is pride. There's a battle that goes on uh, for my heart. And if I'm not careful, it is so easy uh, for me to become prideful. Why do you think uh, ministers and so many ministers and preachers fail? Now, I don't know this to be, be true, but I think it might have something to do with there are so many people like you patting us on the back and saying what a good person you are, that we start to believe it, that we are good in and of ourselves. It is so easy for us to see pride in others, but oh, so difficult for, our, uh, for us to see pride in ourselves. Satan is a master of deception and often fools us into thinking that we've got it all together. You and I are in a battle, and it's a real honest-to-goodness battle over our heart because you will worship something. It's just a matter of what it will be. It is a daily process to put God first in your life, in my life. And if I am not consistently pursuing Him, something else will take His rightful place in our heart. I must be a Christ follower first and a minister second. I must be a Christ follower first and a husband second. I've got to be a Christ follower first and a father second. A Christ follower first and a friend second. A Christ follower first and a businessman second. And if I get the first one right, I'll be so much better at the second one. And he is so worth it. He is so worth it our honor, and our praise, and our worship. So what do you battle with? Maybe it's not running, but maybe it's food. Maybe you eat to be happy. Maybe you eat to, to get rid of some kind of emotional pain. Um, maybe it's just an escape for you. Maybe it's success, like it was for me. You have to be successful to be happy. You have to be the one in charge or to make others fear you or look up to you 
for you to feel good about yourself. Maybe it's money. You want to be known as someone with money. You have to be to have the best car, the best clothes, uh, the newest gadgets. And without those things, you just feel incomplete. It's all about that next purchase. Maybe it's prestige or vanity. You have to look good and keep that image up or it's all for naught. Whatever it is, I can tell you it's dangerous. It's like cancer. And it will continue to eat you up until you deal with it and put God back on the throne of your life. These last few months have taught me so much. And I I would not go back and change one single thing. It has literally been the best summer of my life. I've learned the value of a great family, great friends. But best of all and most of all, I've learned that I serve an awesome God. A God who loves me and cares for me and will never leave me. And I've learned that Jesus makes all the difference in the world. He is the difference maker. So where are you today? What are you struggling with? What are your idols? Do you know what they are? Do you need to commit to being a Christ follower first? Maybe you need to establish a relationship with Jesus for the first time. Uh, Do you have that personal relationship with him? Is is he already the Lord of your life? Whatever, Whatever it is that you're facing, Jesus is that difference maker. If you don't know him today, I pray that today is the day you find him. Let's pray together. Father, it is just an honor and a privilege to know you, to be loved by you, to be uh, known as one of yours. And Father, we we cannot, uh, I I cannot imagine what life would be like without you. Um, Father, I just pray that as we go through this study of of, uh, God's at war, I just pray that we can find those idols in our lives and put them in their uh, right place and keep you on the throne of our lives. Father, help us to pursue you like we should. Just to help us in every way, strengthen us, grow us uh, as we strive to be uh, like you. We pray this in your son's precious and holy and wonderful name. Amen.